Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Woo! How many of you would consider yourself a quitter? You would raise your hand, but you'd only quit halfway up. So it's, uh, Most people don't want to be called a quitter. We're told that winners never quit and quitters never win. How many of you would say that you're too legit to quit? Uh, a few more people are willing to raise their hand. Uh, you love pushing past the pain to achieve your goals, and you have the gym selfies to prove it. I have a picture at my house of a salmon swimming upstream. Now, I'm guessing it's a salmon because I'm no fish expert. It could be a dolphin or a mermaid for all I know. Uh, but a fish going against the current is the perfect picture of perseverance in my mind. They're too legit to quit. It's like the little train engine that keeps saying as it's going uphill, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. All the little guy has is a fin, a tail, and a heart to prevail. I imagine it would be a lot like us power walking uphill in 60 mile an hour wind. Jaggings don't fail me now. I always wonder, why do fish go against the current? I mean, it's the same water upstream as it is downstream. It's not like it's seawater here and then Evian water at the other end. Totally worth it. The reason why fish are willing to swim against the current is actually pretty cool. Scientists have discovered that the fish will intuitively migrate back to the place of their birth in order to reproduce. They will travel several miles to get back to the same place where they were born in order to reproduce. It's the circle of life. As a side note, I'm thankful that that's not true for humans. Make for weird honeymoons. In the picture at my house of the heroic fish, it's just about to reach the top of this waterfall. He's almost home. But as he makes the final leap, there's a hungry bear waiting with its mouth wide open. The photographer captures this salmon in its final moments. It's a tragic ending to a courageous journey. Swimming, struggling, and then dying so close to the place of your birth. When I look at that picture, I want to stop the story like in the Princess Diaries when the little boy yells at Grandpa, you're reading the story wrong. Perseverance is supposed to be rewarded. The story is supposed to end with him as a winner, not dinner. Where's his happily ever after? Every time I look at that picture, I hope the bear has an allergic reaction, anaphylactic shock, followed by mercury poisoning. It's enough to turn an optimist into a pessimist, traveling hundreds of miles only to become sushi. Sometimes I fear that on the other side of my struggle is a hungry bear ready to eat me just before reaching my goal. That while I'm waiting for my miracle, I'll just become the answer to some bear's prayer. Thank you, God, for this food. (laughs) Has anyone ever felt like that? That you're just waiting for an appointment with disappointment? You want to hope, but past experiences scream nope? You're looking for the silver lining, but you feel like you're stuck in a Woody Allen movie. Let's stand and read our theme verse this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You may be seated. 
I've been reading through the book of Hebrews multiple times recently. It's only 13 short chapters long, which some people consider the number 13 an unlucky number, which is providential because this community uh, that the author's writing to is experiencing some very unlucky circumstances. It's a Jewish community that has converted to Christianity. They are a minority group who are looked at as abandoning their faith and their family. There were no televangelists telling them that if they followed Jesus, they would inherit health, wealth, and a trophy on the shelf. Christianity cost. It was very pricey to be a follower of Christ at this time, including jail and the loss of property and possessions. Can you imagine going to jail for being a Christian? That if you said, I want to follow Jesus, that's like, oh, cool. Well, you get to spend some time in jail. People have gone to jail for some pretty crazy things. I read an article this last week about a groom who forgot to book the reception. Rather than coming clean with his wife, he phoned in a bomb threat. The police didn't find it very funny. He spent the next 12 months in jail. He went from lovebird to jailbird. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 through 35, gives us a glimpse into what is actually happening with this Jewish community who have become Christians. It says, remember those earlier days after you had received the light, so just after they had accepted Christ, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. I want to say full of suffering. Full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Like the fish, they had swam against the current, but rather than a reward waiting for them at the top of the waterfall, there was a bear. Prison was their bear. Losing their home and business was their bear. Losing friends and family was their bear. Life had become a bear, and it wasn't fair. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. When you're scared, what do you tend to focus on? Whatever you're scared of. When you're suffering, what do you tend to focus on? Whatever's hurting you. When I was first diagnosed with hypervagatonia in October, which means that the electrical signal in my heart is haywire, which is why I have to sit to preach every Sunday, I was initially told that it would take about two years for it to get better. I rolled my eyes. I can't be sick for two years. I got too many things to do. Doc, I know you have 12 years medical school, but I have WebMD. I will push through it like everything else. Professionals call that denial. Wives call that being a man. <laughs> well, there's moments when delusion runs into reality. I went for a walk around my neighborhood this last week. I go for a mile walk every morning but I have to go at an old man's pace. Every day I'm shuffling. <laughs> but on Thursday, while I was a block from home, 
my heart rate all of a sudden is in it. It's usually like under 100 while I'm walking. All of a sudden it's like 110, 120, 130, 140, 150, 167. Ding, 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 ding. It felt like Lars from Metallica was playing the drums in my heart. And it would not come back down. I had to walk all the way back to my house at a shuffle's pace at 167. Do you know how disconcerting it is to have the unpredictability of never knowing when all of a sudden your heart's going to feel like it's having a heart attack? I could go to Target, just be shopping. And, and not like when we were you know, pregnant and had to buy diapers and saw the cost of it, like the heart rate goes up. I mean, just for like no reason, like all of a sudden it's just like... I can't trust my own body. I can't have any stimulants, no chocolate, no caffeine. I can't even stare at my wife for more than three seconds. She's not here to hear it, so. (laughs) It's easy to be consumed by your problems to allow them to bring you to a place of depression, anger, bitterness towards people eating McDonald's and they have perfectly good hearts, especially when Sylvester Stallone is 71 years old and making another Rambo. I am 41 and I can't even stand up. This wasn't my plan. It's not where I expected to be at 41. I went from athletic to pathetic, from gymnastic to geriatric. I often go to bed asking God, is there a point behind this plot twist? Because if there's a lesson, I would love for you to just kind of let me know so we can learn it and move on. I feel like the kid on this roller coaster. I'm not sure he's feeling very good about following his mom onto that ride. And I think there might be some trust issues in the future. Hebrews 12, 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. I want you to say that with me. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. I have another picture at my house. It's Jesus on a cross. Now, we have sanitized that picture. We've turned it into art. We wear it as jewelry, hang it in our homes and tattoo it to our bodies. But no one in the first century would have done that. It would be like decorating with an electric chair. Grandma's not sewing that into her dowie. dolly. The cross looks like failure. Three years of investing in people only to have them kill you. All your closest friends run away. One of them sells you for 30 pieces. It's, it's one thing to have your enemies stab you in the back. It's another thing when it's one of your closest friends. And to make matters worse, he will be killed in the most embarrassing way possible at the time in front of an audience, stripped naked, vulnerable, weak, and without rescue. When I played flag football in college, we had a massive linebacker who would say every time he tackled someone, who's your daddy? The cross was Rome's way of saying, who's your daddy? You can't stop us. You are powerless. We will do to you whatever we want. And to make matters worse, according to Deuteronomy chapter 21, anyone who died on a tree was considered cursed by God. 
So not only did Rome reject you, not only did your friends reject you, but supposedly God rejected you. It looked like Jesus swam against the current only to meet a bear at the top of the waterfall. The disciples expected majesty, but watched his life ebb away in tragedy. Hebrews 12:2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Where did Jesus find strength to endure the cross? The joy that was set before him. You see, we serve a God of resurrection. Three days later, that fish can come flying out of that bear's mouth, slapping him in the face with his fin. A much better ending to that story. It's easy to feel like joy is in the rearview mirror, that the best days are in the past. How many of you guys remember the Super Bowl shuffle? The Chicago Bears sang it in 1985. They wouldn't dare sing it now. But in 1985, they sang it. And William Perry had these words, you're looking at the fridge. I'm the rookie. I may be large, but I'm no dumb cookie. They just don't make raps like that anymore. The whole song was about them winning the Super Bowl. What was crazy about it is that they just were defeated by the Miami Dolphins when they sang that song. They weren't even in the playoffs. Talk about vision. Talk about confidence. Jesus saw the joy on the other side of the cross. I think of Hebrews as the fifth gospel. If you want to read about the life of Jesus, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But even though the letter to the Hebrews was written to encourage them, the author spends the majority of the time talking about how awesome Jesus is. Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the priests. And over and over again, he talks about how fascinating and amazing Jesus is, basically saying, don't get so focused on your crisis that you forget to focus on how awesome Christ is. Don't allow your problems to become your sole focus. When you fix your eyes on Jesus, it fixes your eyes. I'm going to say that again. When you fix your eyes on Jesus, it fixes your eyes. You can focus on the problem being be depressed, or you can focus on the Prince of Peace and be at rest. What are you focusing your eyes on these days? You see, the human eye is amazing. Tell the person next to you, you have amazing eyes. Some of you missed out on a great opportunity this morning because of where you sat. The human eye is made up of two million working parts. It remains the same size from birth till death, which is why some babies look like anime characters. <laughs> A fingerprint has 40 unique characteristics, but the iris, 256. With the naked eye, we can see the Andromeda galaxy, which is 2.6 million miles away, light years away. And with the same eyes, we can see the microscopic bug crawling across the floor. We can see close to 10 million different colors. And if you're like me, they all fit under the eight original colors found in the Crayola box. I always crack up when I ask the bride and groom, what are the colors of your wedding? And then they list off themselves. I'm like, no, 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 like red, yellow, green, blue, like those colors. <laughs> the human eye is amazing. One of the greatest things about the eye is we get to choose our focus. 
The quality of your vision impacts the quality of your living. I read an article this week by Isaiah Peed. He was an NFL running back, living his childhood dream when he was in a car accident that cost him one of his legs. Imagine you're a running back. You've played football since you were eight years old. It's not only your career, it's your identity. Now you have to no idea what the future is going to look like. As he was lying in the hospital bed, he turned to God for answers. What he heard was, if God will lead me to it, he'll lead me through it. If God will lead me to it, he will lead me through it. Just because I lost my leg doesn't mean I lost my heart. Now he's training for the Paralympics. That's what it means to fix your eyes on Jesus as you look to him for your inspiration, your motivation, your expectation, your revelation. I heard an interesting gospel song this last week. I need just a little more Jesus. I need just a little more Jesus. I got too mad and I said too much. Went too far and I almost cussed. That's why I was like, this song is for me. <laughs> no, my mama didn't raise me that way. Lord, I need a little help today. Mm. I need a little more Jesus. I don't know about you, but I need a lot more Jesus. <laughs> Matthew 14, 29 through 30. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. This has to be one of Peter's biggest moments. He's walking on water and it's not even winter time. I was at my son's sixth grade graduation last week when he busted out a Michael Jackson impersonation. I wish I could reduplicate it for you, but the crowd went nuts. He is so like his mom. I'm sure the disciples were going nuts as Peter stepped out onto that water like parents seeing their kids walk on water for the first time. Could you imagine how magical that moment must have been? He's walking on H2O, yeah. <laughs> but then he shifts his focus from Jesus to the impossibility of the situation. What am I thinking? What am I doing out here? This is ridiculous. And it says that he focused on the storm and not his Savior and began to sink. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, the one who called him out onto the water. I watched a graduation speech from a former football player. Dr. Rick Rigsby, this is his words. He says, in the 1970s, I met the finest woman. She would have been referred to as a brick house. I just don't see that as a compliment, but his words. Back in those days, ladies didn't like big old linemen like myself. They wanted the quarterback. The movie The Blind Side hadn't come out yet. I found out that her name was Trina Williams. I built up the courage to ask her for her phone number. To my surprise, she gave it to me, the actual number, not 588 <laughs> 
She was smart and beautiful. You see, I graduated in four terms, Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan. When my dad met her, he pulled me aside and said, is she nuts? At our wedding, people were saying, how in the world? And they were on my side of the wedding. We got married, had a couple of kids, and then she discovered a lump. It was cancer. She died six years later. If it wasn't for my faith in God, I wouldn't be standing here today. Where do you turn when your world begins to fall apart? Do you fix your eyes on Jesus? You see, that verse should be like a burr stuck to your clothes. You remember when you were a kid and you would go out and play and those burrs would get stuck to your socks? They're impossible to get off. That verse should be a burr in your soul. Fix your eyes on Jesus. So when I had what felt like a heart attack this last week, I wrote a poem because that's what you do. (laughs) I'm not one of my childhood heroes. When I see a giant, my instinct isn't to grab the slingshot. When Mr. T knocks me to the mat, I'm tempted to fake being knocked out. When I had the flu, I'm okay sitting the bench unlike Michael Jordan. I'm not sure I would have followed William Wallace into the battlefield, no matter how impressive his speech. Unlike Tom Cruise, I have no interest in doing my own stunts. Unlike Bruce Lee, I'm not willing to face an army with a one-inch punch. Sure, I have couch courage. I feel brave while I'm watching the hero on TV. I imagine myself the hero of my story, never backing down, always saving the day. But if I were to be honest, sometimes I'm the women or children they hide below deck until the pirate battle's over. I want to be brave, but bravery without a script is risky. It's not always rewarded. Sometimes you step out on the water and you start to drown. Sometimes you speak up and you get shut down. There's scars, failures, reoccurring nightmares, Friends and family who abandon you, you leave the war, but the war doesn't leave you. I'm not one of my childhood heroes. And yet, there's a God who whispers, get up, try again. You don't need to be the hero. You just need to believe in the hero. You're not the hero of your story. I am. I never asked you to save the day. I asked you to believe in the one who created the day. I know every challenge you will ever face. I intentionally equipped you for this life. I'll help you fight when you have no strength. I'll carry you when you can't take another step. I'll give you vision when you can't see the point in living. I'll be your second wind. I'll be your motivational speech. I'll be your miracle. I'll be your song. I'll be your resurrection. Don't be so focused on your crisis that you forget who Christ is. I am your savior. Not just the savior of your soul, but the savior of your all. Your savior physically, relationally, emotionally, mentally, holistically, period. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And then I died. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah. 
my dream someday was to be a stand-up comedian. I'm going to have to be a sit-down comedian, which just seems lazy. <laughs> All right, let's pray, and then we're going to take communion. So ushers can come forward, worship team can come forward. Jesus, we thank you so much for being the author and perfecter of our faith. That you being perfect, you being awesome, still had to face the cross. But you had the vision to see beyond the cross to the joy. And God, we need you to infuse that into us as we face our own crosses, as we face our own challenges, to look beyond the cross to the joy that is set before us. In your name, amen.